0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Pipes and Piety. I am Micah. And I'm James. We're so glad that you are joining us today. Now, if you recognize, or if you notice by our intro, we're down a man tonight. So, uh, where's Tristan at?
1: The sickness has got him. The, <laughs> the wonderful sickness that the goes around him. every year around this time. Yeah. The bug.
0: So, and he had a long night tonight, uh. Or a long day at work. And then he led worship tonight for yep. practice. And he's sick on top of all that. So um, he's home resting. So be praying for him. Uh, but we have a nice little podcast for you. Yeah, um, I playing. know we're probably not as fun to listen to, but uh, we'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to confuse our listeners because they'll have
1: our, yeah. uh, our voices sound exactly the yeah. same.
0: <laughs> what, what do you guys think? I, every time I listen to it, yeah, we sound exactly the same. Yeah.
1: I've I've listened and I'm like, "Wait, is that me Who's or is that Micah?" <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, we have the same register. Yeah.
1: We register at the same uh whatever that's called. Yeah. But um So anyway, No. I'm excited for tonight. It's been a while.
0: Oh man, we're starting the series without him. I just re- realized that. Yeah, we're going to start That's sad.
1: I asked him uh I asked Seth to be a guest. Yeah. He said that his wife's birthday was more important. So yeah, that is Ken. Can't blame him on that one. Happy so. birthday,
0: Amy, if you're listening. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're, we are starting a new series. Um, you might be like, wait, don't you still have another series going on? We we started a series on ecclesiology. What's our plan with that, James? Uh, I, I think we're going to... We're definitely going to finish it.
1: Uh, we just, like we've said in previous episodes, we want to be able to give it the attention and the... Mm. Just we need to give what it deserves, and uh, we just couldn't do that more time in it. Exactly.
0: So I think we talked about maybe finishing it off with some guests.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely get some guests in the future that actually work in churches and actually know what they're talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean we know
1: what we talk about. We can get it out, but but wisdom is good. Wisdom is good. Wisdom, and it. I don't know. Yeah, it's more fun when you know, you know, when we're struggling Mm -hmm. to get the the topic out, it's not as fun for us, and I don't think it's as fun for our listeners. So when we have somebody that knows what they're talking about, we can just spitfire questions, and Mm -hmm. we can, you know, I feel more comfortable, and we can all have more fun.
0: Yeah. But in the meantime, uh, we are starting this new series. It's a five part series. We claim to be. Well, not just claim to be. We are we are a reformed podcast. We're trying to be. We're, we're, we're reforming every day. Uh Yeah, we're a reformed podcast, so we thought it would be necessary and important to give you an explanation of w- a little bit about what that means. Now, as we'll get into here, reformed theology is huge, mm-hmm. and there's a huge variety of doctrines that come out of that. Yes. Um But tonight, what we're focusing on is... Reformed soteriology, or to put that in layman's terms, a reformed perspective on salvation. Yes. So.
1: The doctrines of grace, or as their most common nickname now, and everybody knows them as the five points of Calvinism. Or tulip. Or tulip. Yeah. Or, as we'll talk about later, the canons of Dort.
0: Right. And, yeah, we're going to get into where that came from. Um, But let's start off with... Oh, I thought you were. No, pretty... oh, no, I'm just. <laughs> I thought you were I'm doing weird like things with my me. hands. No, I. James is very uh, animated. Animated in his. I think he has a little bit of Pentecostal in him. Oh yeah, deep down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but so. No, but so. Okay. No, but so, so many conjunction <laughs> conjunctions just conjunction in, junction. What's your function? function? Okay, we're ding ding, <laughs> Let's ring it rail it.
1: Back in. Yeah, we don't have we don't have Tristan to realize. I know we got the two <laughs> we got the two rabbit <laughs> trailers. The, here. Yeah,
0: that's this whole episode is going to be a bunch yeah. of rabbit trails. Uh, <laughs> no, so the Reformation. Um, since we're talking about Reformed theology, obviously it's the theology that came out of the Reformation. Um, so, if you in theory, if you are anything but Roman Catholic, you come out of the Reformation, right? The Protestant Reformation. Yes. Obviously, they not every church is reformed. Obviously, in their, in their, uh, and their and their beliefs
1: because there have been many tiny. When I say many, I mean M I N I many uh, tiny reformations within those yeah. reform You know, yeah, you know, you know, you go to the Baptists and how many? Yeah, oh yeah, Pado Baptists, Anabaptists. So you know, now we've got Southern Baptists. General Baptists. Yeah, just in America, we have I think seventy six different types of yeah. Baptist and
0: yeah. And it, it's so, gotten very confusing. Yeah, but when we say uh, the Protestant Reformation, we're talking about Martin Luther and the reformers, yeah. um, the early reformers splitting away from the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, um, would you add anything to that?
1: Well, yeah, you can't you can't talk about the Reformation without talking about Martin Luther, uh, right. a monk in Wittenberg uh, around fifteen seventeen, uh, a priest had come into Wittenberg to raise money for St. Peter's, uh, for basically St. Peter's Chapel. It needed some repairs. And how does the Roman Catholic church raise money? Bake sales. <laughs> <laughs> Any other kind of sales? No, they sell indulgences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bake sales would be Baptist. Bake sales would be very Baptist. Barbecue <laughs> sales would be very Baptist too. But uh, no, so there is a priest who comes into the town whose main job is to sell indulgences, which, if you're not familiar with uh, Catholic theology, is basically a ticket out of purgatory. Mm. You are buying someone's tur- uh, ticket out of purgatory. I, I think uh, uh, Martin Luther put it in the thesis, uh, his theses, um, when the coin hits the... It's like when the coin hits the plate, the soul springs from something. <laughs> I, I, I should have written it down, but... Uh, yeah. So basically, Martin Luther sees that it, it troubles him. He writes these ninety-five theses
0: because basically the Pope is saying you're forgiven. Like,
1: yeah, the Pope is saying that he has the he sin. has the power to absolve your sins. Yeah. And Martin Luther obviously had a problem with that. So right. do we. So he writes these ninety-five theses. He he nails them on the door of the Church of Wittenberg, and basically sp- starts the Reformation. Now. Mm-hmm. The 95 theses are mostly about indulgences, but what they, their heart, the heart of the message and the heart of the message of Reformed theology and the Reformation was salvation through grace alone, mm-hmm. by faith alone. That's, that yeah. is the principle that they wanted to get back to, which was what first century Christians held on to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's not like they're seeing the Roman Catholic Church and like, I don't want to do that, so let's just make up our own theology. Exactly. Now, they're, keep in mind, at this time, they're um, up until this time, the Roman Catholic Church had kept the Bible to themselves and, and to the priesthood. Yeah, only priests could read the Bible. The layman couldn't read it or understand it. So once the Bible became uh, introduced to the common man, they began to read it. And the Holy Spirit convicted them. And so the Reformers were seeing that what Scripture said, And they weren't teaching a new theology. They were getting back to biblical theology. Exactly. And you can even prove that because uh, the teachers right after the apostles, we see teaching some of the same things, you know, early church fathers. We see them teaching some of the same things, which we'll hit a little bit later. But...
1: So, yeah, so now then we go from the Reformation and men like John Calvin show up. And write things like the Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, which as a Reformed theologian, I'd say there's three books, obviously the Bible. And then under that, I would say uh, John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, Christian Religion, (laughs) Christian Religion. And then underneath that, probably the Westminster uh, confession Wait, are you saying
0: John Calvin is Jesus? No, James? I'm
1: not. We will get to that because I what th- we'll get to that because that's a common misconception uh, about oh our, yeah our theology definitely. Um. Anyway, so yeah, John Calvin comes on the scene, and then after him in Geneva there is a man named Theodore. Uh, I, I think I'm saying it, saying it wrong, but Theodore Be- Beza, and then that leads us to a man named Jacob Arminius, or mm-hmm. Jacobus Arminius.
0: Yeah. Jacob Arminius is drawing off of a theology from a guy way before him named Pelagius. Yes. And I think we're going to get into him a little bit later. Yeah, we definitely will, because Um,
1: in a a way, it's almost kind of there's nothing new under the sun. Right. It's just a wheel that keeps on turning and kind of comes back to itself.
0: Yeah, but Pelagius essentially established this... I'm going to use a big word, and then I'm going to explain it. He established the synergistic view Mm -hmm. of salvation. And what that means is that God reaches his hand down, makes salvation available, and then we have to reach our hand up and cooperate with grace. Yes. So it's this two-way interaction, and God can only do so much to save, and we have to do our part. And he essentially draws off this in Arminianism. So picking up from there, this is what... Arminius. Yeah,
1: so the the entire time, and with any movement, you're never going to have everybody who agrees with you. Right. But during the Reformation and the years after the Reformation, there were a lot of dissenters, a lot of loud dissenters who, you know, no, we don't believe this, and and the Reformed Church would just excommunicate them as heretics. Well, the thing with the Jacobus Arminius was he was a quiet dissenter. Mm-hmm. So he's a pastor. He was a pastor in Amsterdam um, from 1588 to 1603, and then from 1603 until his death in 1609, he was a professor of theology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, we've both have professors of theology in different types of theology, but theology usually and especially if we like the, the professor, we tend to kind of think like them and kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. not to say it's a it was dangerous, but I, I guessing in a way it was because here is a man who had influence over young men going into the ministry, and the entire time he, and the entire time he's a minister and a uh, professor, he's writing books. He's never not publishing them. That's what makes him almost more dangerous than the loud dissenters because they, the church, could just excommunicate and 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 hush them up with truth. Right. But here he is in the background teaching.
0: And by the way, he. When he's getting established, he's a, in, in like every sense of the term, a Calvinist. Like he...
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a reformed, he you was know. In, yeah, he's a reformer. He came out
0: of the reformed. Yeah. And then he started doing, you know.
1: Yeah, he is a reformer, and he believed that his his theology, his ideas were true reformed theology. Um, But yeah, so he was writing books. And uh, but never publishing them so that he could continue working and continue being who he was in his position. And it wasn't until he died that his followers and his students took everything that he had written and wrote what wrote their petition or the remonstrance. And they had five they had five petitions. and they turned. so this is this is both a like church history and just history history. That the canons of do- or the Synod of Dort actually it has a, has to do with Dutch Dutch history as well, because the remonstrants went to the Dutch government instead of the church mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, this is what we believe, make it law that this is reformed theology instead yeah. of going to the church that way because at this time there was a there was kind of a separation but the but the government still could say back when the government actually cared about theology and religion. <laughs> the government could could protect them and say, yeah, yeah, we believe, okay, yeah, you can call yourself reformed and have these thoughts. Mm-hmm. So for eight years, the reformers, the remonstrants, they all, they argued and debated. And it wasn't until there was a coup in the Dutch government that allowed the church to, to kind of put some power in there and said, no, no, we need to have a synod on this and we need to have it now. But the remonstrants were scared that if it was just Dutch reformers, that they wouldn't have a fair, they wouldn't have a fair trial, quote unquote. And so the the Dutch reformers were like, "That's fine." So they went and they got French reformers and G- uh, Genevan R- Genevan reformers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see that. that's good. There ended up being, I believe, like ninety-two people, ninety-two delegates from all over Europe. And what they were discussing was, and, and this is the funny part because everybody believes that it's just the five points of Calvinism, but the five points of Calvinism actually came from the five points of Arminianism, right. which were, uh, they believed in conditional election, unlimited atonement, serious depravity, which is, we're talking, we're talking about the answer to that tonight, mm-hmm. resistible grace and uncertainty about perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, they had the Synod of Dort, and for a whole year, which actually it started November Mm 1618. Yeah, so we're at the 400th anniversary right now. And it it went for eight months. Every day for eight months, except for the Lord's Day, they met. And they came up with the answers, which we now know as the... They came up with the Canons of Dort, which we now know as the Five Points of Calvinism. Mm -hmm.
0: So, just to summarize... And to make sure I'm following with you so far. Uh, So we have the Protestant Reformation. That's what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. And then as Reformed theology begins to become established with with John Calvin and the early Reformers, uh, this guy named Jacob Arminius is coming out of that Reformation, and he is after John Calvin. The Reformation's been going, and he uh, begins to develop these thoughts that are actually contrary to Reformed theology, but his followers begin to stir up some trouble, and uh, and it stirs things up. So that's you talked about the synod of Dort. That's when they're like, okay, we need to we need to call a synod on this. So um, that's when the synodort yeah. comes. So
1: we've done a lot of talking to get to this point. But what are the canons of Dort, the doctrines of grace, the five points of Calvinism? In the order that we know them, this is not the order that they yeah. were given at the at the Synod of Dort, but this is the order we know them at, and we're gonna we're gonna do it in this order because we believe. Well, we believe it it's kind of like a staircase; they all yeah. kind of leave. after
0: this episode. Exactly, everything else will follow
1: off of this. Exactly, so that's why we are going in this order.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is coming out. This is a response to what was going on at, with the remonstrants.
1: Yes. So we have, do you want to read them, my guy?
0: Sure. And this, so this is why it's a five-part series, too, because we have five uh, things. And basically what it deals with is salvation, essentially. How it comes about, uh, what God, what is his role in it, and what is our role in it. So it's total depravity is how it starts. And there's unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. We will be talking about each of those throughout these few weeks that we're going to be doing this, but we're going to begin with total depravity. That's the bedrock of all of this. And the interesting thing is that the wide, vast majority of evangelical churches today actually affirm that we are depraved and that we're fallen. So we're actually starting with an agreement point.
1: Yes. It's just the first word before... Right. Depravity that we would disagree on. Yeah. Uh, and I want to reiterate, because this is in the notes, plus also I think it's very important. This is not the complete Calvinism. Right. So if any, and I know it, most of our listeners will probably be like, yeah, we know that. But I just for new listeners, yeah. if someone tries to
0: tell you that this is
1: the only thing that Calvinism has, these five points. You, you can are, have... Yeah,
0: you can have a reformed soteriological perspective and not be reformed.
1: Exactly, like and
0: all the other there is a of it.
1: depth. There is a depth. You know, to use the iceberg analogy, this isn't even at the tip of like this is a very very small piece of the iceberg. And underneath mm-hmm. the water, you, there is a a vast amount of theology that is right. good for the soul that most people would agree with. I, I think most most. Protestants, uh, modern mm. Protestants would agree with that they don't know about because, oh, one of the five points and then they mm-hmm. shut the door and they they walk away.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's what we, we want to...
0: Five we, points. Yeah, we want to walk... Make. <laughs>
1: exactly. We want to <laughs> walk through these five points and show, one, how they're biblical, two, how they're right, and then three, how that opens the door to the rest of right. th- Reformed theology. Yeah.
0: And I just want to throw this in there. Um, I don't know what our audience, who our audience is listening exactly. Um, I know there will be some differing views with those of you who are listening.
1: And we'd love to hear from you And if we you do. Will,
0: but I just want to say, I, so neither one of us were raised believing what we believe now, right? I don't. No. You weren't, okay. No. So there are a lot of misconceptions yeah. of what Calvinism is.
1: Yeah. I think I was actually an anti-Calvinist that was a Calvinist, but because most anti-Calvinists don't even really realize what they're anti against yeah that i didn't even realize that i was right. for the things i was kind of saying i was against
0: a lot um, of people hear calvinism and
1: just shout fully
0: understanding what it is they're like yeah. oh no no no! they because think because of a stigma
1: yeah they think a man created it they yeah. think that we be, you know we believe that that calvin died on the cross and calvin died for us and we uh-huh. we don't know
0: no, no. It, it almost makes me want to just not Tell everybody that we're a reformed co- podcast, but yeah. just teach what the Bible says. Well,
1: and it's one of the re- re- reasons I use the word "reformed" when everybody anybody asks. I use yeah. "reformed" rather than cal- because you just you say the big C word, and everybody kind of shuts the door on you. But you say "reformed," and they they almost come in a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah. But so anyway, getting back to what um, yeah, it, it establishes this this first letter of the of the uh, cross stick, if you want to use that, is total depravity. And um, on surface level, this is dealing with the fall, right? Yes. We're fallen from from Adam and Eve's sin. And like I said, everybody agrees on this, but the disagreeing point is to what degree we are fallen. Exactly. Meaning, are we so fallen that we cannot choose God on our own? That God has to intervene? Or are we... We're fallen, but we can cooperate with grace. In other words, God makes himself available to us and we have to choose him on our own. Uh, and this probably sounds familiar to you because this is what the wide, the vast majority of Protestant churches are teaching, that God provides grace and you choose it. Um, but we are asserting here and affirming that a biblical view of our nature is not such. A biblical view of our nature is Totally depraved, and that that total reflects the degree. It it's impacts us to the core of who yeah. we are.
1: The total being of us, yeah, mind, heart, soul, body, will, all of it. Yeah, we'll will. talk about the will later. Yeah, the
0: will is very important. So, but it doesn't start there. So, this we're we're talking about this depravity, but a reformed perspective on salvation doesn't actually start with. You want to talk about that? A little no. Bit? Yeah.
1: It it starts in the garden, <laughs> where we were created in the image of God. Genesis one twenty six through twenty seven. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." Uh, on to verse 27, So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created created him, male and female He created them. So yeah, we're we're created. Our our ancestral father was created in the image of God. Yeah. That is a.
0: He's given an image and he's given a purpose. Exactly. These are good things. Right? And it's not until after the fall, man, that we see this image become shattered and we take on a new nature. Um, but up to this point, Adam and Eve were able to do the will of God. They had the ability to follow God without sinning. But after the fall, this
1: changes. Yeah, then we see in Romans 5... Uh, 13 through 15, for sin indeed was in the world before the law, or sorry, no, uh, 12 through 15. Uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Mm-hmm. For sin indeed was in the wor- world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one
0: who was to come. Right. Right. So what we're getting into is this idea of original sin. Yes. And what our nature is as humans.
1: And when we talk about when we talk about original sin, a lot of people get confused because So th- there's two questions. What is the original sin? And what is original sin? Right. So if you if you're asking the question, what is the original sin? Then yeah, you would say it, it's when Adam and Eve, it's mm-hmm. when Adam sinned. But we're not asking that question. We're asking what is original sin. And we got a good book by J.I. Packer uh, called Concise Theology, uh, which he he takes what we're talking about probably for an hour and puts it in five pages and does it better than we could ever do. <laughs> so I would say pick up Concise Theology. Um, but original sin, meaning sin derived from our origin. Mm. So the moment we are conceived, we are sinners.
0: Right. And, but the important thing, I think, is that this there's a distinguishing factor between the original sin and original sin. Yes. But yes. original sin, based off the definition you just read, is a consequence of the original sin. Would you say that?
1: Yes. So Adam is our federal head. Right. So in his sin, no, you were not physically there but you were represented there. Yeah. You, you, your, the sense of your, your being was represented in Adam. Right. And I think this is where some people, the whole total people, people struggle with the idea of total, total depravity because they seem that it's not fair. Mm. You know, well, I wasn't there. Why, why, why am I sinful from birth? If I, I would, I didn't make that decision. I wouldn't have made that decision and uh one of the greatest ways i it explained to me is like just like a football team you know when someone someone causes a penalty it isn't just that one person who goes back 5 yards or goes right. forward yeah. 5 yards it's the whole team that yeah. goes back 5 yards the whole team even people on the sidelines suffer to that
0: and adams the one making that penalty exactly it I, sets the and human and race the end. whole
1: team gets set back
0: yeah and so roman's five what you just read is key illustrating factor it of what we're talking about Adam sinned and he passed along this condition, this sin nature to all of humanity. And so the, the question now is what to, to what degree are we fallen? Because it's clear that we are fallen through Adam. We have sin and death. So we're establishing that, I mean, original sin exists and our fallen nature exists. And that's not the only verse, uh, Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And I love that that's added. Indeed, it cannot. Yes. Where our mind, our flesh, is hostile to God, and it can't comprehend the things yeah, of God. Yeah, because if, it
1: if it stops before the indeed, it's like, okay, well, then I'll just... Right. Where, and this kind of goes back to Plagius, which we'll talk about even more. You know, and his thought was, it was it's just bad habits. sin is just bad habits. You just change your thinking, yeah, you're there, and so it, the the adding of that indeed, it, it cannot. cannot
0: you are totally depraved, so much so that we're blinded. The reason we cannot submit to God is because we're blinded to our sin and we can't see the goodness. yeah, of God. you
1: are more you are radically corrupted, you are. Morally, morally morbidly. in a morbidly, morbidly, it is morbidly, morbidly, corrupt. morbidly, morally <laughs> Inable yeah. yeah, to do this.
0: There's more though. There's uh, more. Uh, oh
1: yeah. Uh, Romans three twenty three, which is right here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: yeah, everyone's uh, sin.
1: Everyone has. We've all fallen short.
0: Yeah. Um Romans 5:10 says for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So the importance of this is it it describes our nature before being saved. We are enemies of God. And there's no putting this lightly or sugarcoating it. We were sinners and deserving of condemnation and God's wrath. We were enemies in every sense of the word.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's such a a fun word. Not fun. It's (laughs) it's a fun word. Enemy. No, it's the right word because you, you don't think of, well, that's a semi enemy of mine or that's a, no, no, you're just an enemy. You are a total enemy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I don't know. It's a good. Yeah. Um, I also love this saying. I, I'm sure R.C. Sproul wasn't the first one to say it, but we are not sinners because we sin. We sin mm-hmm. because we are sinners, and that's almost straight from Scripture, Matthew 7, yeah. uh, 17 through eighteen, where Jesus is talking about the good fruit, the good tree who bears good fruit, and the bad tree that bears bad, fr- uh, bad, fr- <laughs> the bad tree that bears <laughs> bad fruit. And the idea is that you're not a good tree, and then oh well, then you, then you. Uh, then you bore, bore bad fruit, now you're a bad tree. No, you were a bad tree to begin with, right. and you can only bear bad fruit. You, yeah. A bad tree cannot bear good mm-hmm. fruit.
0: It's all yeah, it bears and a lot of fruits. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, he kind of... And what we're doing right now is we're just giving... We're looking at Scripture, seeing how it lays out our human yeah. condition.
1: Well, and we're seeing that this is not an original thought of right. uh, the yeah, former. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This... It's the gospel. Yeah,
1: this did not start when when Martin Luther was nailing right the ninety five theses. This did not start when John Calvin wrote his Institutes. This starts from not only New Testament. This is also we, right. we've got Psalms. Was the case in, David saying that almost in a, of like of course I was, like of course I was conceived right. in sin. Of course, from the moment I was conceived, I was sinful.
0: Yeah, and John describes like the extent of our sin nature. He says in... In John 8:34, it says, "Jesus answered them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We're in bondage to the sin. We're slaves to it. Now, how can we be free and exercise freedom if we're enslaved to something? right? So this is the extent of our sin nature. It enslaves us. It takes over who we are. Nothing really else,
1: else to be said about that,
0: because it's, it's just kind yeah. of a
1: period right there.
0: Well, I mean, let me just continue while, because a similar verse to that, um, building off of that, is Ephesians 2, uh, 1, through C, 1 through 3. This is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses of incense. So this is describing... So let me back up a little bit. Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and um, the immediate audience is the church in Ephesus. So the audience by application would be the church today. So I say that to say he's talking to Christians, and he's saying before you were Christians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So let me, let me just pick it back up after saying that. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I mean, this is who we were. This is who we are apart from Christ. We're slaves to sin. We walk in our in this this fleshly manner, and we're enemies of God. Now you might say, "Well, come on." guys you i mean we can do good somehow right i mean we can we can be a good person like you look at this guy he does he does everything right you know he's a good guy now what we need to distinguish between is a human standard of goodness and a godly standard of goodness which is driven by his holiness and his perfection we can say you know this is a good guy by human standard But what we need to realize is that the standard of God is perfectly holy, just, and righteous, something that we don't come close to. Uh, And in fact, this is what Paul says in Romans uh, 3, 9 through 12. He says, What then? Were Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It's important. It's not just one. it's, It's everybody under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. In, ca- in case you didn't catch it, he had to repeat it. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> I mean,
1: pretty important when he does that.
0: Yeah. No. So he like he cannot be clear. He says, "No one is good, not one person. Not only that, but no one seeks for God." I'm really glad we read this because, in the in the idea of salvation today uh, in the modern church, you need to seek after God and accept yes. Him into your heart. Yeah, the
1: seeker movement—that's where they came from.
0: Yeah, but Paul says here, nobody seeks God because we're sins or we're sinners and we're condemned in our sin. And it's not that. So we do end up seeking God after he's moved in our hearts. What we're, what we're getting at here is that it cannot start with us yeah. because of our sin nature. It has to start with God because we cannot on our own come to him. I mean, we don't even know that we need to come to him. We don't know of the goodness of God until he's revealed it to us.
1: Yeah, after, after election, I'd say that's probably the biggest argument is who flips that light switch? Is it me that flips the light switch and then I see God, or Mm -hmm. does God flip that light switch and then I see Him? Yeah. And obviously, uh, we believe that God flips the light switch, and
0: this is why we believe that. Yeah. So, that's who we are. When do do we start being that person? Uh, When do we start being that sinner? James, you mentioned uh, the Psalms. Do you want to read that?
1: So, yeah, do a better job and actually give you the verse. Psalm 51.5, behold... That's kind of that's what I was saying. That kind of like, like duh, yeah, <laughs> duh, duh. Look, yeah, look, guys. <laughs> Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and s- in, in sin did my, yeah, sorry, and in sin did my mother conceive me.
0: Yeah. Now this isn't saying that his mother was sinning by, like, having sex outside of marriage or something. No, he's talking about his nature. When he was conceived, he took on the nature of sin. Yeah,
1: the very moment that, you know, those two things met.
0: Yeah. This is he, before birth. Either. Yes. The, like yeah. it's in our DNA almost is what it's getting at.
1: Well, yeah. And that's, that's kind of, you know, back to original sin. Uh, one of the, one of the ways in my reading I was was ancestral sin is what it is. Yeah. It, is it is something that passes. And I think the reason we struggle with that is because we don't think ancestrally anymore. Um, and I'm kind of going off script right now, but, Kind of going back to a subject because I, mm-hmm. I just thought about this, we don't think ancestrally we, we think like, oh my grandpa, you right. know my grandpa did that and, and and we we kind of think about how it affects our life, but at this time in this age like ancestry was everything, yeah you know who who your great 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 grandfather was and who was in your lineage was was everything, and so the idea that your ancestry no matter who you are, what you are, is corrupted. is It would be very powerful to first century Jews and, and, yeah. and even Gentiles.
0: Mm. That's good.
1: Sorry, just a little. No, it's a, good a, little a, a thought that I was bit. having. And we won't even charge you guys for that extra <laughs> yep, bit. <laughs> bit. That was free. That was a little free. thought I had in the car today and some of my reading. I was like, that's that. It is true. You know, I barely even think about my great grandfather and what he did, yeah. but it affects my life. And. Some of us don't even know who our great grandfather is. Exactly. Exactly. Is. And the, these people would have been, no, you know, it's yeah. why it's why the lineages of Jesus and and everything is so important because it shows where he comes from. Yeah. But yeah, there's just a little thought I had. But on to what we were talking
0: about. That's good. Yeah. On to what because I could go off on a whole bunch yeah. of other things based off that. Um, but so what we're getting at? Let's see. We have how many? We used a bunch of scripture because we wanted to prove that this is. This, this is not a start a with Yeah, this is a doctrine from the Gospels. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and not to say that that's all. Um, but what we're, I mean, it's clear. We have sin that has passed down through Adam, and it impacts our nature, and what this is leading us into is called. Uh, is a doctrine called the doctrine of moral inability. So we've established that we're fallen, but and most people agree on that. But the question is how far are we gone because of our sin? Well, at, in our, our perspective based off of total depravity, we would say we are completely unable, unable to come to Christ on our own. And and this is a this is something that was up for debate or has been Throughout church history, um, I want to kind of direct our attention to two main people uh, who address this idea of original sin. How how is it passed? What is the extent that it is passed to uh, all of humanity? It, so Augustine and Pelagius. That's what I'm getting at. Um, they had differing views on the idea of original sin.
1: Yeah. So Pelagius is a British theologian, pastor and he shows up in Rome and basically what he had been teaching in his in, in Britain basically that sin is just a habit. Yeah. You you have a choice. All you have to do is work real hard and if you work real hard you'll break that habit. You'll be fine. You don't need a savior. And Augustine had a huge issue with that. Augustine got word of this. And in response he he basically he wrote about original sin and, and, and total depravity and moral inability. So Augustine would say, original sin passed on. We are in bondage to that sin. Only God can overcome our condition, the divine initiative. That that That's what that is. And Pelagius would say, Adam's sin only affected him, and that we can overcome sin on our own and atta-
0: attain salvation. Yeah. Basically, we don't need Jesus. G- it eliminates the gospel, really. Yo, yeah, saying we can attain salvation on our own,
1: which it, it, almost goes back to the fall. We want to, we want to attain it for ourselves, like we, right. we want to do this ourselves, and that's yeah. what gets us in trouble every time. Yeah. But, um. So the church, the Catholic Church, actually does a good thing here and labels Pelagius <laughs> a heretic.
0: And he's excommunicated,
1: but they can't do a good thing, and they can't accept. They don't want to go as far as accept Augustine's Augustine,
0: yeah. claim so we then, have to have some part, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. How are we going to make money? Of you know, and how are we <laughs> going to? Yeah. how are we going to have power over people? And yeah, if that—that's the idea—that only God, the Pope can't do anything, the priest can't do anything, only God can do anything. Uh-huh. Well, what power do we have? And so they kind of meet in the middle, and that's where we get the semi-Pelagians.
0: Mm-hmm. It's this kind of moderate view of Pelagian's doctrine on, on sin and human condition. And essentially, what semi-Pelagianism is, is this moderate view saying, whereas Pelagianism said, no, the fall doesn't affect us. This moderate view is saying, okay, well, it does affect us, but we're not so far gone or so far fallen in our sin that we can't choose Jesus Uh, And essentially, Jesus makes his grace available, and it's up to us to exercise the freedom of our will to choose Christ. Now, (laughs) I want to say this gently, because the reality is there's many people out there, and maybe even some of you who are listening saying, or nodding their head, and like, yeah, we have to exercise the freedom of our will and choose Christ to be saved. I mean, and, well, so the reality is that that's what the church teaches. A lot of the church today, not all of the church, but a large majority of the popular churches in America are teaching this. Yeah. And this,
1: you know, and it's hard, especially in the American church, because a free will, we, we like to, Americans love to say we are free. And in one instance, so there's, there's two kind of faculties of free will. The first would be free agency. You have the choice. Like, I decided what I had for dinner tonight. I decided if I wanted to chew it. I decided if I wanted to swallow it. I decided, you know, where I was going to drive my car. Yes, you have free will in that sense. But the last time you had free will in the sense of choosing God and choosing good was when you were represented in the garden. And people, no, no, I have free will. John 3, six, that the Arminians always go to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, at whosoever, always get whosoever believes. Mm-hmm. And the, I think I, I spoke on, on it, or we, I think we talked about it, probably you and I and, and Tristan. That, that's, like a, that's like a staircase, mm. you know? Yeah, whoever is at the top of the staircase is on the second floor. That doesn't have anything to do with the ability. If a guy in a wheelchair comes <laughs> yeah. up to it and you go,
0: well, whosoever climbs it... John 3.16 is not describing our ability exactly. to or, or our inability not to choose Christ.
1: Exactly. It's just stating it's just a fact. Whoever, whoever believes... Will. And that's yeah. true. Yeah, it's, it's saying, yeah, the person who believes is a Christian. So and like what, we talked about earlier, that belief is a gift and a the yeah. light switch from God.
0: Yeah. So what we're getting at here... And what we're standing upon from a biblical perspective is that our, fa- our fallen nature corrupts us and impacts us to the core. Yes. In such a way that we cannot come to Christ. And we're going to get into, this isn't just us saying it. This isn't just the reformers saying it. It's explicitly stated throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible. We're going to get into that. Um, but what I want to assert first is that our sin nature impacts every aspect of us. It impacts our thoughts, our actions, what we say. It impacts the will. You mentioned the will a little bit so a little bit ago, so I, I just want to bring that up before we get into Scripture. Uh, yes, our will is impacted in, in bondage to sin. And if you think about it that way, how it's in bondage to sin, you, you, you think about how it then operates. It's like if our will is in jail to sin... No. It has to operate within that jail well, and the the prisoner doesn't get to decide
1: when he's free,
0: yeah, you know, so a big we were talking about stereotypes earlier with Calvinism, a big stereotype is all like oh, oh Calvinism Calvinists are just robots they yeah, they don't do anything they just they don't have freedom, no okay we <laughs> we have freedom and we have free will, so don't hear us saying that, we don't say that we as Calvinists believe that we don't have free will. We absolutely have free will. God's given us freedom and, and a will. The problem is, after the fall, so, well, first of all, before the fall, that will was able to operate in the perfect sense of the word freedom. Exactly. After that, our, we still have free will, but it's it operates in that bondage to sin. So... Freedom is doing what we desire most, right? We are free to do whatever we desire. The problem is with our sin nature, which we just laid out, we only desire sin. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm free to do whatever I desire. But apart from Christ, I only ever desire sin. I'm only ever an enemy to God. I only desire to rebel against Him. I don't desire anything good or godly or holy. Exactly.
1: And, you know, I, like Isaiah said, our good works, even apart from Christ, our good works are like yeah. filthy rags. So those good things that you do, they're still filthy. And, and that's putting it lightly. I mean, yeah.
0: to put it into the context of the day, it was yeah. like tampons, yeah, basically. He, yeah. They're like toilet bloody per, yeah. used. Use tampons, <laughs>
1: used toilet paper is what he is saying. Yeah. Because he knew, and we know this now, that... Before Christ, even the good things that we try to do are, are usually to get ourselves ahead mm-hmm. or to per, or to um, preserve ourselves it, it has nothing to do with actually choosing God and doing good for God we just want to we yeah. just don't want to be hurt we just don't want to so in a way our good works before Christ are just selfish right selfish works yeah turning
0: into filthy rags and sins <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's do, do we want to let's back that up a little bit? Let's see how that plays out in Scripture. Yeah, um, Romans eight seven says, uh, and I think we let's see. Yeah, we use we read this verse again, but it also states our moral inability. Uh, it says, "For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot." This is describing our inability. We cannot come to God apart from Christ. Another one, John uh, six forty four says. No one can come to me. Mm. This this is good. This is uh Jesus speaking too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So G- this is what Jesus says. He says, No He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> I mean, who, that's that's our podcast yeah. right there. It
1: it really is. Cause who, we can go home. W- yeah. I'm who does the anyway. dra- drawing, you know? Yeah. We didn't draw ourselves. We didn't,
0: you know. Yeah. Yeah. And this drawing is this regeneration aspect, the saving aspect. You know, you know, we're yeah coerced. Well, what we see in which we'll probably bring this up with Irresistible Grace too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: But we see that in Nick, in Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. Yeah, you, you must be born again. You must be regenerated. How does a human regenerate themselves? Lazarus yeah. had Jesus had to call him out. Of, you know, only yeah. one could
0: regenerate themselves, and and he was God.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: and the big thing we're getting at here is how does a dead person bring themselves to life? Yeah, they
1: can't because the picture is that we are, and and this is kind of that synergistic. The picture that is in mo- most modern churches today is that you're drowning. You're not drowned yet, but you're drowning, and Jesus is on a boat and he throws a a he throws a buoy, life buoy to you, and you just got to reach out and you grab that. But the picture that we see in Scripture is that you are drowned, dead, mm-hmm. tangled in seaweed, your your body is bloated with water, and Jesus jumps down, swims to the depths of that of that depravity or that ocean and raises you to life. You have nothing yeah. to do with that.
0: It, so the raft, this, this is a good illustration. The buoy is God's grace. And so this semi plagianism, semi plagianist view or the view out there in a lot of modern churches today would say that, did you just say this?
1: Yeah, kind of, but you're just, yeah, you're, you're reiterating it and it's good. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. You're, you're, you're kind of. I was kind of reading my
0: notes as you're No, you're expounding that, so on it. Wanna, so, the, the view that came out of this Pelagianism view, the semi Pelagianist view, uh, this idea of synergism, said that he throws this life raft out and we, the dead person at the bottom of the lake, can <laughs> swim up and grab it. Yeah. So, how, as much as you had nothing to do with your first physical birth, How can you have anything to do with your second birth spiritually, right? Yeah, If we are to come to life, we're at the bottom of the lake. If we are to be resurrected and life restored to us, someone else has to do it. Exactly. If we're... Take a real life situation. If there's somebody drowning in a pool and they're passed out at the bottom of the pool the lifeguard has to go in there and do CPR. You
1: can't just scream or throw a life buoy
0: above where their body is and
1: go, well, I hope they reach for it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's insanity. Yeah. I mean, the lifeguard has to go in, not only bring them up out of the water, but do CPR on them, revive them. And this is what Jesus does for us. He sees our condition, our moral inability, and based off of his... Unconditional election, which we'll talk about later, based off of his pleasure and his goodwill, he saves people. And he begins the work in their heart to regenerate them. And that's this idea of another doctrine that we call divine initiative. So we see that we're sinners, we see that we can't come to God. So then how does he do it? How do we come to God? Because obviously, salvation's a thing. (laughs) And so, how that happens is that he takes initiative, not us. We don't get any glory in salvation. I mean, just think about it. If it was up to us to choose him, we would strip glory away from God, and we would have puffed-up chests and have some uh, kind of responsibility. Um, It's as if God isn't good enough on his own. But anyway, uh, James, you mentioned it a little bit ago, this account that uh, is recorded of Jesus and Nicodemus, but I want to just briefly uh, read over this and kind of point our attention to it again, because this is this is describing how Jesus takes the initiative, how God takes initiative in salvation. This is found in John chapter 3, it's verses 3 through 8. And this is Nicodemus and Jesus talking. It says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Uh, and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The winds blow where, they, where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit." So Nicodemus asked this question: How is one saved? Essentially, is what he's saying. Yeah. And when Jesus says you have to be born again before you can be before you can enter the kingdom of God, this is establishing this idea, this doctrine of regeneration, which precedes faith. Uh, the modern church so often mixes that yeah. around that faith precedes regeneration. Jesus clearly states here: No, Jesus has to take that divine initiative. We have to re. Be reborn, regenerated before we can believe. Yeah, it. Uh,
1: we, we spent a lot of time in that. and I think our verse, our first, our first e- uh, episode, John three, is I think one of the greatest because it, it sums up a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of theology. Yeah, I would say read John three, read it over and over again, especially if you are semi-Pelagian or Arminian, or you don't even know what those words mean, but you think, oh, well, no, John three sixteen is what I believe. Read the entire chapter over right. and over again. Read many commentaries. Read, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I, if you really, truly get the meaning, like this, the doctrines of grace, I think, would make sense to you if you just read John 3.
0: Yeah. Um, so, that's just a little
1: free information again.
0: Yeah. So we pretty much have given an explanation of what this depravity is, that it's total, it impacts all of us. Um, but, and we're getting ready to wrap up. Before I, before we wrap it up, though, I just want to say what it isn't. Total yes. depravity, it does, it speaks to our nature and how, the extent of our fallenness. But what it isn't is utter depravity. You want to just briefly hit on that?
1: Yeah, so it's not the idea that you are as depraved as you can be. Right. Not everybody is a serial killer. Not everybody is a rapist. Not everybody mm-hmm. is is as bad as I could. Uh, I think he, even Calvin and his institute say that there are people who, in their own will, strive very hard and lived a very decent life, mm-hmm. but still fell short. Yeah, it, you know, we can live. There's people that are that are, that are in hell and will be in hell that lived seemingly perfect lives so obviously we don't know the heart of man right. yeah. but seemingly on the outside they live perfect lives we are not saying that you are as utterly depraved as you can be
0: mm. yeah so and wrapping this up this this is the idea of of total depravity and it's not and we've said this several times throughout This podcast. It's not that the reformers came up with this. It's that they were getting back to gospel truths. We see this in the gospels and we see this in the post apostolic age. Um, I have a quote here. I'm not going to go ahead. I'm not going to read it. Um, We can point you to that, but we're running a little long on this podcast and it's just the two of us, so I'm kind of surprised that that (laughs) we we, went along. We've been able to do this. Um, But the point here is that. This So the post-apostolic church is the church existing right after the apostles themselves. The apostles are the ones who saw Jesus in the flesh. yeah. And I say that to to say if we see a doctrine circulating in the early church that often, that early, maybe not always the case, but for the majority of the time we need to consider it. Um, And we see this doctrine in the gospels themselves, which is the inspired word of God, so that should be enough for us, right? But we also see it in the post-apostolic church. And we see uh, Luther and the reformers getting back to it. Um, so, yeah, this is the the first point. So, I want to have a little bit of application really quick. Um,
1: well, I was going to say, this is a this is almost a Christmas doctrine. I, I was thinking hmm. about it today, like, so if you're a Pelagian a Pelagianist, you you don't need the baby in the yeah, in the manger, uh huh. Be- because you can just swim to the boat. Yeah, if you, you just swim hard enough, you can go against the current. You can get on the boat and you can be saved. If you're a semi political you know, you, which is what most we would probably call the modern American church, even they don't really need the. Because in a way, you can you can work it. You can get it. You can work it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really only when you think about this total depravity that you realize, like. No, I need that infant.
0: Yeah. This is I, the goal for the gospel.
1: Exactly. I, there, because there is nothing in me that can get to, to get God. Yeah. I need that infant. I, I was. Just, this is a Christmas. So it's, yeah, it's fitting it that we are in the Christmas right, season yeah. right now because this is a Christmas doctrine. Yeah. Why
0: do we... I'm glad you brought that up. I don't know if you remember. Uh, this was back when I first started the podcast. I thought about doing a mini cast on Tulip. mm and we were kind of discussing it. I'm kind of glad I didn't because I like this, the full podcast. Um, but one of the things I wanted to do is go through all the, go through TULIP without actually saying TULIP. And my idea for that was naming this one, Total Depravity, naming it uh, our, re, uh, our need for grace or why yeah. we need to be saved. And so if we don't, let's let's drive this home, if nothing else. If we don't see that we are fallen and that we can't come to Christ on our own, we don't need the gospel. If we think otherwise, we don't need the gospel because we can attain salvation. We can do a part. We can work our way. But we are sinners in need of grace, and that's why we need the gospel. right?
1: Yeah, and that's why total depravity is important.
0: Mm-hmm. So check out our next podcast coming up. This, like I said before, It's the foundation, okay? We're talking about salvation. We're talking about how God saves his people. We have established that it has to be initiated by him because we are fallen. So then the question is, how does he do that? How does God go about orchestrating his plan of salvation? And that's going to flow out of this. We start with this idea that it's not us, it's God. He does everything. It's his plan. He carries it out. And that's going to walk us through the rest of the series. Exactly. So if you liked us, uh, if you like this episode,
1: leave a comment, a like, a rating on our iTunes, our Facebook, our Instagram. You can find us at Pipes and Piety. Uh, Really, just Google Pipes and Piety and
0: you'll find us just about everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much wraps it up. So stuff that in your pipe and smoke it.